Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Cindy Siofansale, and I'm back again for another half hour. Um, this afternoon's show is really going to be interesting. We're talking about a topic that I know a lot and a little about. Okay, and we're speaking about medical male circumcision and just general stuff around penises. If you want to tweet us, you can tweet us at cliffcentral.com. My Twitter handle is at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I. And you can catch us on um, WeChat, Cliff Central, Facebook, Cliff Central, and Instagram, um, Cliff Central. I have two guests in the studio, um, Dr. Hilary Mukudu and Dr. Gwinyai Masugumi. And these two guys are going to be chatting all things circumcision, Penises, penis piercings, you name it We're going to be speaking about it Welcome guys and thank you so much for being here Oh, Thank you very much Dr. Cindy for having us on the program And um, I'll start off with um, Gwinyai Gwinyai, um, I know that you are currently um, I know you did two years of obstetrics And then you're currently doing something else Tell me a bit about yourself and tell me about what you're studying at the moment Okay, thanks Cindy. As you mentioned, uh, I was registrar in obstetrics and gynecology and I left OBS and gynae because I realized I needed uh, more skills in epidemiology and biostatistics. Because one day I want to become a clinician scientist. That is a person who combines clinical work and research. Mm, so you're one of those geeks now. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and at the moment, what are you doing? Well, at the moment, um, working for a company which uh, is contracted to the Department of Health, mm-hmm. and that company is just basically doing research surveys and so forth. Okay, so you really dissect papers, you understand them, and all these stats that you read about, you understand what it's all about. Hilary, what are you up to? Hey, currently, I'm practicing as a as a general practitioner. Um, I've got a practice in Tulisa Park, okay. but I've got a five years experience in medical male circumcision. Mm-hmm. So I only opened my practice first of December, mm-hmm. 2014. I've also, yeah, it turns out that Gunya and I were actually classmates. Yes, I know. Epidem- he told me. He yeah. told me recently. Yeah. In epidemiology and biostatistics. So you guys are so. just as geeky as each other. Yes, you are. <laughs> so now let's talk about medical male circumcision. And the interest that I have in medical male circumcision is that um, as an HIV clinician, I know that there was a stage when we were told that the next thing in HIV prevention is to have is to encourage men to go and be circumcised. Okay, and that is a big thing. And I've I've been very open on Twitter about circumcision and how important it is for men to be circumcised, especially as as part of prevention towards HIV. Can you, Hilary? Can you give us the background on what informed that decision, the Department of Health, to say men must go for circumcision? All right. Uh that's a very long question because the answer is quite is quite long. But and it's important it for people go, to know. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is, and I think the the evidence dates as far back as the 1980s. Okay. And I'll I'll give you an example. Look at countries like Nigeria, mm-hmm. Congo DR, Cameroon, mm-hmm. and Angola. You look at their HIV rates; they're very low. Okay. And you look at Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Swaziland, Botswana; HIV rates are very high. Okay. So in the 1980s. That's what was observed, that in countries where generally the circumcision rates are as high as 80%, yeah. the HIV rates are very low. And now in countries where it was the opposite, where the circumcision rates are low, the HIV was very high. Okay. So that was, that was the initial evidence. But, you know, with medical science, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Even that was not enough. And so the next step was to have what are called as uh, randomized controlled trials. Yeah. Now in, in, in medical research, those are considered as the, as the, as the ultimate. 
but I know people may have a different opinion, but those are the ultimate in terms of a science. So what they simply do is that you take a group of people and then randomize them to, by randomize you mean you put them into different categories. Yeah. They are from the same age group. They are from the same cultural or social issues that affect them. I'm always the same. Yes. And then you subject them to something which is the same throughout. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards measure that which you're interested in. And in this uh, circumstance, it was circumcision. Everyone was circumcised, but the other part was not circumcised. Mm-hmm. And then after um, three months, check your HIV status. And then after the three months, check the HIV status. And so these studies were meant to go for two years. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 the people that look at monitoring of these studies, they actually had to stop them because halfway through, they realized that the evidence was overwhelming that People that are circumcised are less likely to get HIV than those that are not circumcised. Oh my goodness, okay. To a point that it became unethical to continue with people not being circumcised and yet the evidence is there. Mm-hmm. So I think that was, that, even that was not enough because those are three major studies done mm-hmm. in South Africa, Kenya, and Uganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the initial one was the one from South Africa and then they did the other two in, in East Africa. Mm-hmm. But even with that, the WHO still had to get experts to look at this evidence, not only from the three clinical trials, but also from the observation studies that I mentioned about earlier. Mm. And I think based on this, that's when they said circumcision should be encouraged. However, it has to be an integral part of all the other HIV interventions that are currently in place, that you're talking about your condom use, your abstaining, and all those things that are there. So that's circumcision is not standalone even if it's been implemented. That's why any circumcision place that, that provides circumcision for prevention of HIV does not do it as a standalone. There are guidelines that are followed in HIV testing. There are guidelines that are followed even afterwards. What is the information that you give them during circumcision, after circumcision, how to take care of the wound, mm. HIV positive. And so there's, there's quite a lot that is involved. Circumcision is not a standalone HIV prevention strategy. And I think the messaging around circumcision is what might not have come across very clearly because I remember there was a stage when People thought, as long as I'm snipped, I can just dip in without wearing a condom. And that is where I think we missed it. I mean, Kunya, what are your, what are, what do, what do you have to say about this? Well, I agree with you. I think the main weakness of the circumcision programs is this issue of risk compensation where individuals, uh, because they think they're circumcised, they begin to have risky behavior such as not using condoms, having multiple, uh, partners. Mm. Then with this, I just want to ask Hillary a it's a few questions around risk compensation. He mentioned the three studies. Um, the first study was in uh, South Africa in Orange Farm by Ove and colleagues. And in that very study, there were two arms, as you said, an arm that was circumcised and, and an arm which is uncircumcised. What they found following these individuals, they found that individuals who were circumcised, after one year, they had more sexual partners than individuals were uncircumcised. And that also persisted at 24 months follow-up. So what do you have to say about risk compensation? Yes, and I'm happy that Gunyai asked me that question. And, and that's actually the, the question of my my study, the one that I should be published, I think, the next month or two. It was looking at the issue of risk comp- compensation. But there are three studies that have been done even before the one that I did. Firstly, in Kenya, they did a study 
about risk compensation, but it was a qualitative study. And you know, qualitative studies is a bit difficult because more or less what you're doing is you're getting people's opinions. There's not much numbers behind it. Yeah. But however, overall, it was found that there was no risk compensation. Okay, the so risk compensation is I've been circumcised okay. and I can just go out there and dip it anywhere I want to. Yes. What, what it means is, as Kunya just mentioned, is that mm. now that I know that circumcision reduce, reduces the chances of getting HIV, and now that I'm circumcised, then I may as well just, go around because yeah. I'm unprotected. That's what it means. Mm. And, and, and it's true. There were some indications in the study that he alluded to that there could be risk compensation. And that's why there were a few studies that had to be done. And there was another study that was published last year in July that actually found that there is no evidence of risk compensation. But now, when Guinai, when you mention about risk compensation, you're talking about having more sexual partners. But what is the sexual behavior with those same sexual partners? I think that's the question that the study to be published soon talks about. It was actually found that though the people that are circumcised in the initial period post-circumcision, even if they tend to have more sexual partners, however, their sexual behavior with their non-primary partners, like... Yeah, they, 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 their main chick. Yeah, apart from their main sexual partner, the sexual behavior with the others is far much better. It's actually safer. They use condoms. They don't use alcohol. They don't. So at the end of it all, but again, uh, as you say, it, it was only a study that goes up to, to, to two years. Mm. But in our study, we found that after six months, it actually dwindles down. It goes back to the pre-circumcision behavior. Mm. So in short, what we say that in as much as there may be these fears about risk compensation, but because during circumcision, as I mentioned, people are given an opportunity to know more about HIV transmission. They get the accurate information information about HIV, even their behavior afterwards seems to be, that's a recent study, seems to be pro- more protective than being... Hmm. And that's risky. important. I think um, um, sharing HIV-related knowledge in every um, platform and in every um, every chance that you get is important. People need to know what HIV is and how it is um, transmitted. Just the, 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 the circumcision itself, the the physical... I mean, I've never performed a circumcision and um, I know that you spent the past five years cutting foreskins and so on. What what does it entail? What happens when a person is circumcised? What do you use? Do you use a clamp? Do you use scissors? Do you use a scalpel? How do you cut the foreskin off? It's 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 a procedure that is being refined, but I can tell you this is the oldest medical procedure. Literature shows us that as far back as more than 4,000 years ago. Well, in the Bible, in the Bible it is there. There are pictures of what happened in ancient Egypt where that's about 4,000 years ago where people were getting circumcised. So if I were to say if there's any medical procedure that has the opportunity to be refined with time, it is medical circumcision. Mm. But I would tell you one thing. They, they, yes, there are different ways of doing it. The original study that was done, mm. the one, the three clinical trials, they were all based on what is called surgical procedures. Mm-hmm. So they are called by different names, where one uses what people may refer to as a clamp. But then with time, there are also other non-surgical devices that have, that have come in. So it, it depends on, 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 on what the country looks at. For example, in Rwanda, they're using a different method currently. Mm-hmm. In South Africa, currently, the approved one is a surgical method, but they could be rolling out non-surgical devices anytime soon. So it, it all depends. But I, I will explain about the current one. Mm-hmm. The current one is that somebody comes in, and it has to be 10 years and above, 
if it's less than 10 years, then it has to be someone who was a medical indication. What I mean is there's a reason why somebody has to be circumcised. Oh, like a phimosis. Exactly. Where, where the head of your penis is swollen and yes. the foreskin is tight and something has to happen to release that pressure. Yes. Okay. Th- that's why it's, it's a bit difficult now to get arguments from people that argue against circumcision. Remember, really? circumcision... That's my professional opinion because mm. what I'm saying is circumcision has been there all these years. But now because it's been implemented for the prevention of HIV, and then people will, will argue. But there is this scientific evidence that I've mentioned about. And so when a patient walks in, when the person walks in for a circumcision, the actual procedure takes about 10 to 15 minutes. Really? I always thought it took longer. It takes 10 to 15 minutes. However, it's the other things that are related to it. We talked about the HIV testing and the oh, counseling that get involved. And so after the procedure, somebody comes back after two days to just see how they're healing after a week. Then even after three months, we still see them with the main reason of reinforcing as Gwinyai mentioned, we don't want people to, to, to have risk compensation. But again, you do your repeat HIV test. Remember, even if you did an HIV test today, these random tests that we use, you still have to repeat it in three months. Even if it was negative, you mm. still have to confirm it after three months. Oh, okay. So those are, those, are, those are the issues that are involved. Oh, that's, yeah. It sounds all squeamish. Like when you talk about clamping, I'm just thinking of this thing clamping on the head of the penis and, you know. But, um, oh, yeah, okay. Hello. <laughs> The clamp. Okay, I've heard so many stories about the clamp. I've Googled the circumcision clamp. I've seen botched circumcisions and penis heads cut off. Penis, you know, the glance penis is chopped off. Like, what about that? How do you how do you ensure that that doesn't happen? I know there's training. Um, and we, have you been involved in training? Yes, I'll say from the beginning. Good enough, the, the WHO in 2009, yeah. before we actually rolled out circumcision even here in South Africa, they provided a guideline. And the guideline is very clear on what you're supposed to do, stage by stage. So people had to be trained first before they do circumcision. Mm-hmm. And, and the training that is there involves the doctors, the nurses, the counselors, everyone that is involved. Now, they are in medical publication, mm. there are acceptable levels of what we call um, um, an unwanted event, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned about uh, clams, you see, people's... Mm, the, the glass penis, penis is gain. gone, it's chopped off, that's yes. it, and this penis rots and falls off, like I've seen so many pictures on the internet. Yes, but remember, we're talking about medical male circumcision. Mm-hmm. So, the Circumcision has been in existence for all this time. Mm-hmm. So there are different methods that are used. So I'm only talking about that which the WHO has approved okay. to be used. And what I'm trying to explain is that the, the risk of that happening is minimal. Okay. Like in any medical procedure, you cannot have 100% no risk whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Even if somebody was going for a small operation or maybe cutting of an abscess, there's still risk that is associated with all those things. But it has to be at an acceptable level and it has to be, you have to know how to manage it further. And that's what the pre- the training provides for people that get trained to do medical medicine. Oh, okay. So Pumi, Pumi has a question and she says that, um, yes, you know, we understand why male medical circumcision is, is punted for the impact that it has on HIV transmission. But what about the impact that it has on women and the chances of contracting, um, HPV, which leads to cervical cancer? So Gunyai, have you got anything to say about, about, um, m- medical male circumcision decreasing the risk 
of transmitting HPV? Um, HIV uh, circumcision has been demonstrated to reduce uh, the transmission of HPV. And, uh, and HPV, by the way, is the human papillomavirus, which is the virus that leads to um, s- cancerous cervical changes. Yes. Um, women whose partners are circumcised have been found to have a lower incidence of cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. And also men who have been circumcised have a lower rate of penile cancer. However, I just want to emphasize uh, from a public health point of view, if you want to prevent cervical cancer, you're not going to go about circumcising men. The way to do this is primarily maybe by vaccinating the population is what is beginning to happen in South Africa by vaccinating girls before they, before they become sexually active and also by screening them with the papsimia and even the newer methods like visual inspection with acetic acid and so forth. That is how you would prevent cervical cancer, but not through circumcision. Okay, so it's, it's, so it's, it's quite right that we haven't promoted circumcision as a way of reducing cervical cancer because that isn't actually the gold standard, as it were, for, in, for, for reducing cervical cancer. Yes, uh, that is correct. Oh, okay. Well, if, you, if you'd allow me, I just want to go back to Hillary, and we just want to thresh out this issue of uh, risk compensation. Since we have identified uh, risk compensation is the Achilles heel of circumcision programs, what is being done to monitor and evaluate risk compensation? But before you answer, I just want to quote a few things to you. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the expert group from the UNAIDS and WHO. This is what they say. They say the beneficial impact of male circumcision for both men, men and women would be substantially reduced if risk behaviors increased across the adult population. And we know in South Africa... I'll quote from a media report. South Africans are using fewer condoms, sleeping around more, and becoming less knowledgeable about HIV AIDS. And this is from the most recent uh, Human Sciences Research Council report. So in other words, we are seeing that there's a decline in condom use across all age groups. The knowledge is going down. So is that not risk compensation happening in the whole population? And will that not reduce the effectiveness of circumcision? I... I will agree with the statement that was that was mentioned earlier about um, the 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 TAG the, ta- the the team that was tasked to to to, to roll out circumcision, but it, the uh, thing that I wouldn't disagree with is risk compensation. I think I just talked about three studies that are done, including a study that I personally was involved that showed that there isn't a risk compensation. Okay. However, but this is the largest representative survey in South Africa. Nothing. Goes beyond the South African National HIV Prevalence Incidence Behavior Survey. That is the best data in the country. That incident survey that was done, it looked at also the the the, the incidence of or prevalence of circumcision. It said that circumcision was low, and one of their recommendations is actually more circumcision. Well, I do agree with that, but I mean, we are seeing declining condom use. We are seeing y- yes, people are sleeping around. That's what I'm saying. So that when we look at studies, you look, you need to look at the context. Despite what was mentioned about declining condom use, this population that was selected to do the study were people that were not circumcised. If you look in the paper properly, the the prevalence of circumcision, according to that paper, is so low that at the end of it, their recommendation is, can we circumcise more people? So it it, it actually defeats the the purpose of somebody saying we have less condom use. But let me just explain. The reason why risk compensation shouldn't come in is because, as I mentioned at the beginning, when you're going for a circumcision, you have what is called pre-test HIV counseling. 
Now, in a pretest HIV counseling, is where somebody assesses the person and tries to see is this person ready for HIV test. And one of the things that is highlighted, they'll ask you how many sexual partners do you have? What is the sexual behavior like? So that after the test, even if it's negative, the counselor emphasizes the need to reduce on the sexual partners, safer. So that's how we counter. I think I'm answering your question on how do you counter the issues of risk compensation. I fully agree with what you're saying, but people in the first trial in South Africa at Orange Farm went through that comprehensive process of being counseled. They were given intensive education, but still we found that men who were circumcised had more sexual partners. Well, I think if I can just if I can just come in there, I think my experience in having worked in the HIV field for the past five years is that when it comes to condom use, there's just something schleppy about having to use condoms each time you have sex. I mean, I preach condom use. I've spoken to people. I've I've spent the past five years working with pregnant women primarily, and I always ask them, you know, what is it that stopped you from recommending condom use? And people just find that the use of a condom is sleepy. And I think maybe the messaging that came across with um, with circumcision, I think the way circumcision was punted initially, we missed. We, I mean, Hillary, you have to admit that when it, when it first came out, we missed that important part of, yes, you can be circumcised, but you still have to wear a condom. I don't, I mean, I, I was in Orange Farm when, when the whole thing started rolling out. And we were just wanting to get people snipped. And we didn't really emphasize that you must still use a condom. I, I think that's the that's the good thing about being informed with with, with medical science. Mm. So the information that came through. Let me let, let me disagree with you on one point. Is mm-hmm. that condoms? Even if you look at the statement by WHO, it says integral part. So mm, mm, mm. so that that means condoms and everything. So the way it was supposed to happen, the implementation was things as they are. You do your A B. C and just add another C. That's that's what they were simply saying. Mm. So the extra C is for circumcision on top of the other methods that that were there. And I think that's the problem with with managing programs, huge programs. Because remember, that was in a clinical trial setting. Mm. And now when you go into the actual you world, it into real life, into real life mm. things may be a bit different. Mm. And those are one of the differences that is there is that even if in the clinical trial there was some element of risk compensation, as I mentioned earlier. Having more sexual partners does not necessarily mean risk compensation. If the extra sexual partners, somebody is at less risk, as I mentioned earlier. So I wouldn't interpret that as risk compensation per se. But with the programs, that what we found out is the emphasis on counseling maybe wasn't done as much mm. initially, but now that is being emphasized. And they, they are organizations that are looking at it and they monitor and see whether people are doing the correct thing or not. Mm, okay. In terms of the countries where circumcision is widely practiced, I mean, Gunya, I know you're from Zimbabwe. I'm also originally from Zimbabwe. Is circumcision common in Zimbabwe? Is it a program that's been introduced into the country? Um, are you aware of it? Well, I think it's, uh, the developments are similar to what is happening in South Africa. I think there is an emphasis or an effort to increase the Circumcision across countries where there's a high prevalence of HIV and mm-hmm. also a low circumcision rate. And Zimbabwe, South Africa, and countries in the region are countries which fall into this category because the circumcision, as Hillary mentioned, really works where there's a 
high prevalence of HIV and their low circumcision rate. And what are the other benefits of, of circumcision over and above HIV prevention? Why why should guys be circumcised? Because I know that there's a whole thing about hygiene and I, and I just feel that if you're going to wash your penis with warm water, pull back the foreskin, rinse, 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 you're fine. So what's the whole emphasis on hygiene? Is it more hygienic to be circumcised? Hillary? Yes, it is. It is? You mentioned, yes, it is. I think somebody mentioned about HPV. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's more or less, it is more hygienic to be circumcised. That's, that's the say. Firstly, you have a collection of what is called smegma. Mm, oh, that's, oh, by the smegma, way, smegma is that white mm, stuff that, that is in people between. are always worried about. Yes. In that collection of smegma, you may have bacteria that is there, mm-hmm. but over and above that, is, it, what's this hygiene is, is a small issue. Compared to the overall picture of HIV prevention, but I'll tell you other things that that is preventions. Uh, one of one of the listeners I think talked about HPV. Mm-hmm. That's important, but also in the context of what Kunyai says, it could also be small. Mm. You're talking about other sexually as we call them ulcerative sexually transmitted diseases, other transmit sexually transmitted diseases as HPV. You mentioned earlier, it, circumcision does prevent. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're seeing in the programs generally. How many men would go to see a doctor when they are not ill? It's difficult to find men or boys to actually check for them for other things. But now, because of the circumcision, we've ended up discovering other medical and surgical problems that they may have and may not have known about. And those are, those are all documented. So those are all the benefits of, of circumcision. Also, we're talking about HIV tests. We, we had a lack. I think Gunya and I had a discussion just before we came. He, says that when we talk about HIV, usually people say the women are the disadvantaged. But he gave enough reason that I agree with him to say it's actually the men that are disadvantaged. In that there's not much information that we know about the HIV status of men. We know more about women. But now with circumcision, children as young as 10 years, you end up knowing the HIV test. And I will tell you a story of a child who had been not, not, both parents had died and came for circumcision at 11 years. Not knowing the HIV status, the Greninger says, oh, both parents had died. So it was because he came for circumcision who did an HIV test and the child was found to be positive and for that reason was referred for appropriate treatment. So all those are the tiny, tiny bits of benefits that are there that in the long run that make us feel that by having this this, um, implementation of circumcision, it's worth it to do it. No, great. So we're going to be back after this song and we'll be chatting about um, penile piercings. We're going to be chatting about the effect that circumcision has on sexual um, intercourse and sexual enjoyment and also about um, vegetable-shaped penises. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com. 
Okay, so we're back speaking about um, circumcision and penises. I'm in studio with Dr. Hilary Mukudu and Dr. Gwinyaima Sukume. I'm Dr. Cindy Fansale. You can phone in 0861-555-189 or you can WeChat um, Cliff Central. We have a question. Um, someone wants to ask, what is phimosis? So, Hilary, what is phimosis? Mm, phimosis is actually... I think that's one of the benefits of circumcision that comes in, and that was there way before HIV. The treatment of phimosis is circumcision. Mm-hmm. Now, phimosis is narrowing of the opening of the feet of, of the penis, mm-hmm. narrowing a narrow foreskin to an extent where that the penis, the head of the penis, is not allowed to. It to can't. Come out. It can't come yeah, out. It, it swells up. It, no, that now becomes paraphimosis. Oh, if, okay. Yeah. There, there are two terms. Phimosis is where it's just narrow, mm-hmm. and nothing has happened. But paraphimosis is where now somebody has an erection because I think during the time of sexual arousal they may not feel the pain. The head forces itself through that small opening, and it can't come and out. And then it can't go back. Okay. That's paraphimosis. Okay, and that's treated by circumcision. Yes. Okay, so that's at least we've covered that. I mean, um, the physiological function of of foreskin. Like, why do we have? Why do we listen to me? Why do men have foreskins if we don't? If they don't need them, I don't have a penis, guys. Why do men have foreskins? Why am I saying we? Why do men have foreskins if they don't need them? Why do we have appendices when we don't need them? Hillary. That's my answer. Hillary. <laughs> what is the physiological function of the foreskin? I'll ask the same question. What is the physiological function of an appendix? I like you. Gwinyai? <laughs> well, um, I think one of the functions, even which the World Health Organization mentions, is that uh, the foreskin has nerve receptors, and mm. they say that can enhance sexual pleasure. Some of these other functions are to keep the glands moist, the glands as the head of the penis. And also it's, it is said it has a function where it can protect the head of the penis when the baby is still in the womb. So I think those are the functions in my way off. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I think that's, that's interesting for me to learn. But yeah, as Hillary says, so, I mean... We, so one, yeah. thing, one thing, firstly, we don't circumcise children that are still in their womb, number one. <laughs> and then the other thing is um, and the function of the, of, of the foreskin. Mm. When you talk about nerve endings, don't we have nerve endings almost everywhere? We have, that's why we feel pain when we get cut. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there are nerve endings. Now, the, the thing is that with science, it's, are we doing more harm than good? That's the balance of, balance of it. And now let me introduce scientific evidence that actually showed when they actually interviewed women. Another qualitative study in East Africa, they interviewed women that had their sexual partners went through the trials of circumcision. And they asked them, what is it afterwards? So is it better with the foreskin or yes. without the foreskin? Yes. Okay. Good enough. 50% of the women said it's just the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same before and after. The other 50% says it's better. So I'll let, I'll let you judge on that. <laughs> That's interesting. Oh, well, I hope um, people on Twitter are, 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 are listening to this because I know that there's always a big thing on Twitter. Uh, when you speak about circumcision, I know Tiki Mabala says that KZN Twitter must tune in and listen to the show, you know. Which, which, um, in, in, in South Africa, which, um, group is most likely to circumcise? I know that Kosas circumcise. That's part of their tradition. But apart from the Kosas, who else practices circumcision? Traditional circumcision? Yes, the, the, there is evidence to show that uh, the, um, from the, from Limpopo, mm-hmm. I'm speaking about provinces now. Yes, yeah, provinces, Limpopo, yeah. Limpopo and Eastern Cape, 
But the the thing with traditional circumcision is that, like, if you talk about the Eastern Cape, you're talking about a boy who's about 18 years. Mm-hmm. That's somebody who's about to be an, an adult, so to speak. So less than that is also still low. And we know that uh, sexual um, activities in South Africa, the age of the first time people have sexual activities is going lower and lower. Currently, I think it is at 16 point, 15 point something. And so... By 18, it's a bit too late if you're going to circumcise because of HIV prevention. And so the acceptability, I think, I don't have records to go by tribe, but general population of South Africa, it was actually found that 72% of the women would take their child to be circumcised. Okay, that's interesting. And then 68% of of the men would prefer to be circumcised. So acceptability was actually higher even among the women. Than what what we think. Yes. I know when I get asked questions about circumcision, I always say, from my standpoint, it's about sameness. If the dad and the son are the same, then I'd rather have them the same because I can't imagine it's easy for a young boy to look at his dad's penis and the penises look different because Mm. they do look different when they're flaccid. A a, a non-circumcised penis looks very different from a circumcised penis. I mean, that's that's a fact. Right, guys? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. No, it's true, but I think in terms of uh, acceptability, as you said, for children that are younger, obviously, when they look at one, they say, because that's what we even do, actually, when we're doing promotions. There is a picture that gives you circumcised, uncircumcised, and partially circumcised. And there are people that are questions which one looks normal. Mm. So those ones that have only been exposed and think a circumcised penis is a normal penis, that's what oh, they yes, talk about. That, that will be their frame of reference. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. And just in terms of, of the seasons, I know seasons are quite important when it comes to circum- circumcision in South Africa. We have circumcision season and winter is circumcision season. But is there a reason why we do more circumcision than winter or is this a myth that it's better in winter, you heal quicker and so on? It's, it's a myth that I would wish could go away, right? Could go away. Gunyai? Well, I agree with Hilary. I, I think I did come across your statement in the press where you were interviewed and I think it's just a misconception that people have that when it's winter, maybe it's colder and you can heal faster and so forth and so on. But uh, there's really no specific uh, season, so to speak. And the six weeks um, abstaining from sex post-circumcision, are most guys adhering to that or do you think they hit it even before the six weeks is done? What have you seen at the clinic? Again, we, we, we haven't, we have done a formal study. We're mm-hmm. still analyzing it, but there's a study done in Zambia that showed that up to, it's unfortunate, up to 24% would not wait for complete healing. They oh. actually restart sexual activities before the end of the six, of the weeks. six weeks healing period. So that's, that's, that, that's a worry about circumcision because I think if somebody is freshly circumcised and they go have sexual intercourse, they are actually more likely to contract the virus than even the person who's not circumcised at all. Okay, so apart from contracting the virus, does, can anything tear or are there stitches? I, I don't even know why I'm so squeamish, guys. I'm usually not like this. I, I don't understand. But it can, can what are the risks, the physical risks of having sex before the six weeks is up after circumcision? It's, there's infection that could happen, but also the stitches do tear, it's true. The wound opens up before before if you're going to have sexual intercourse before that time. So it's, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is a worry that is there. But that's why, as I said, we're getting to learn with time, but that still doesn't defeat the fact that circumcision is there. Mm. So we're getting to learn and to, 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 to help out people to say you should. And there are actually people that are thinking of shortening the healing period 
if at all we may be able to do that but it looks it could be expensive to 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 improve the wound healing so that it heals much faster so those are all options that are available kunyai mm-hmm. well, hillary i think it would be beneficial if you perhaps mentioned the prepex device yes there is uh, i think currently the the the, the prepex device i think it's being They've done trials so far, and I think Rwanda has rolled it out. I think. Okay, so Prepex is the Prepex clamp. is yeah, it's a device. It's not a clamp per se. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I think let me just say something because when somebody says the clamp, I think most people think of their head being crushed and all those things. No, no, no. It's 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 a pla- it's a it's more or less like a plastic device. It constricts the foreskin until the foreskin dies off completely. So it's like, so it's like death by constriction. Yes. And the foreskin dies, the, the skin dies and the it skin falls dies. off. With the prepex, it doesn't fall off. Okay. But there is another device also called shang ring where they are thinking of actually it falls off. They don't need to, to, to cut it. But all those, as I said, we're learning as we go. Okay. And, and the knowledge that we are getting, it's all, it's, 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 it's quite helpful because with the prepex, you don't need an injection. If there are people that are scared of an injection, you don't need to be cut. You don't need to see a blood. So people, it's, 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 it's it, the, the, the cosmetic effect. If you look at the skin area, it also looks better. So those are the things. But again, you need to look in the context of what is available also. You cannot do the prepex, for example, in children that are younger, like your 10, 11, 12 or 15 oh, year old. So those are all the, the other things that we need, we, we need to look at. Okay. And speaking of age, is there an ideal age to circumcise? Is there a, an age where no wait until the baby is six months old or whatever it is? What's, what's the ideal age for circumcision? Another big study has just been done in the USA now. Mm-hmm. And I think they analyzed, I think it's c- close to three million subjects. Mm-hmm. What they found is that the younger they are, the less likely they have complications. Okay, so so currently in South Africa, I think the recommended age is ten years. If there isn't any problem, it's ten years and above. But however, if somebody has a phimosis, as mentioned earlier, even if they are six or seven, then circumcision is indicated. In and in a in a newborn circumcision in a, new, in a newborn, would you recommend that, or would you rather wait? I'd rather wait for scientific evidence for that. Yes. Okay, and the, and the religious groups that I mean, I know there's religious groups that circumcise babies from early. Yes, they are there. And those ones form a group of people where scientific evidence can be looked at mm. and say, can we do this or not? As, as I was saying earlier, we all relying on scientific evidence, what it says. And so far, even the ones that are talking about neonatal circumcision that is in the first 28 days after birth, mm-hmm. the evidence so far, they're saying it's, it's much better. But what method are you going to use? Okay. So a lot, a few more questions need to be answered before the scientific community can say let's go this way oh, okay and you know, i know we were having an interesting chat about um vegetable shaped um penises tell me a bit more about that <laughs> well that's that's very interesting cindy um well there's this particular or peculiar condition uh, where the penis can resemble an eggplant and uh, a person is said to have an eggplant deformity so this occurs when uh, the penis fractures it can fracture for example during sexual activity and it has been said um, in a position where maybe the woman is on top, also known as the uh, cowgirl position. So mm. this happens, as you know, the penis does not have a bone, unlike other animals that actually have a bone in the penis, but humans do not have a bone. So there's this thin layer on envelope which assists in erection known as the tunica albuginea. Mm-hmm. So when there's a bend or a sudden force on the penis that can occur, like, for example, um, 
during the cargo yes, position. Yes, 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 yes. Um, this layer which helps to keep blood within the penis, uh, just ruptures and there's a sudden cracking, popping sound and blood leaks and the penis becomes inflamed and can be purple. So it ends up resembling an eggplant. So that's how eggplant deformity comes about. And what's the treatment for a, a penis fracture? Oh, the gold standard is immediate surgical uh, intervention. You need to go and repair that tear as soon as possible. If you do not do that, the penis will curve when it uh, erects later on and there can be severe difficulties with erection in the future. And sexual intercourse, yes. as I can imagine. Yes, yes. Oh, my words. And, I mean, Hilary, you've performed, uh, if you were to take a guess, how many circumcisions have you performed in the last five years? I think it's above... It's about 13,000. Oh, my word. Wow. And we have all those foreskins. I know that apparently foreskin is good for skin. And Is that true? <laughs> is, that, is it good for my skin? As, as, <laughs> as I said, it's a bit difficult. You know the problem with some of these things? You've got things that are appearing in the newspaper. Mm. People put up their opinion. And, and yes, it may people may have done studies that are doing all those things, but it's not, it's not in the scientific literature. Mm. And so... What we do with the foreskin is what we do with anything. If somebody has an amputation of a finger or a limb, they get to be incinerated. And that's exactly what is done even with the foreskin. But if someone wanted to take their foreskin home, would you let them take it home? Currently, the, the, the understanding is you have to, that's human tissue. So it has to be disposed of according to the regulations of the country. Oh, okay. So and you so can't take will your that person, you know, the only thing you can ask them, will that person dispose it of? They were according to the regulations. Oh, okay. And it looks and un- mostly it's unlikely. Oh, okay. So you keep Evans foreskin. They get incinerated. We don't keep them. Okay. As, as I said, <laughs> I mean, well, what I mean is that it doesn't go home with anyone in a little packet. It'll stay at the clinic and then get incinerated. Yes. Oh, okay. Right. And in terms of weird and wonderful penises, like what have you seen? What have you seen out there? No, I think I think one of the, one of the things that I was quite surprising when I first saw it was people. Uh, there are men that put plastic beads under the skin. Oh my goodness, I've seen that on 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 Google. Yeah, oh yes, yeah, yeah, we've seen quite a few of those. But my only worry was that all of them that we saw came from from the prisons. Really? So that's that's that, that's my, that was our only worry, and we we're wondering why is it that they get to be to have these plastic beads under and along the along penis. the length of the penis. All over the penis, it makes the penis look studded, like it's got these. Like, oh, like like, like a like a ribbed like a ribbed like a ribbed condom. Yes, like a ribbed condoms, but they are they are plastic beads that are under the under the skin. So that was that that was that was an interesting observation. Wow! And have you seen any penile pin, um, piercings, like you know nipple piercings, tongue? Yes, pier- yes, they are there. They so are where, where? most of them are on the foreskin itself. So, but because when you circumcise, you have to. Remove the foreskin, so usually you have to tell them that the, the piercing has to go as well. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. where exactly is the piercing? Like, as a, like, I'm trying to imagine this. No, it's actually the the few that we've seen are on the foreskin itself. When you pull the foreskin, and there's there's a piercing there. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. And but I hear there are others that are right through the shaft, but I think that's you haven't bit, seen that. I haven't seen it. And you wouldn't it. recommend anyone to do that. It's. General scientific knowledge tells you it to be it would be it would it would be a disaster if somebody did that. It's a bit it's a bit difficult. As Guinyai mentioned about the tissues that are there, there's blood vessels that are there. There's a, the way the urine passes to come out. You may puncture. So there's just I, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise anyone mm. to do that.
Well, I think uh, my role as a devil's advocate would not be complete uh, unless I ask these two more questions. Well, these uh, three studies you mentioned specifically focus on female-to-male HIV transmission. So it did not also be important to consider the role of circumcision in uh, the other way around, male-to-female transmission. Because, I mean, one of the studies I'm aware of, the randomized controlled trial, actually suggested that uh, women who have circumcised partners are actually more likely themselves to acquire HIV. And before you answer that, and my final question would be, the very first uh, study published in PLOS Medicine, the South African study, was actually originally rejected by the Lancet for publication because they said it did not meet the ethical guidelines. Do you have anything to say about that? Let me start with the last question. Lancet published the subsequent two studies from Kenya and Tanzania, so... Whatever consideration that was there to reject it at the beginning, I have no idea. But all I know is that subsequently they accepted the other two studies. Then the the other thing, if you're talking about prevention, yes, and I should highlight two things. Firstly, circumcision is for heterosexual uh, prevention, meaning from female to male transmission. So it's not homosexual transmission. That's the evidence that I've been highlighting here. Okay, so that's that's, so it's basically... Um, trying to prevent HIV transmission from the female to the male, to the male yeah. and we haven't done much. Um, stu- we haven't done many studies on homosexual. Yes, there are HIV few studies that have been done, okay. done, but I don't think they're they're, they're, as, they're as conclusive as the ones on heterosexual okay. transmission. Then the other thing is that prevention of female to male, the same male to female rather, the same studies done in Kenya and Uganda, they followed up the female partners. Of these same circumcised individuals And the female partners Compared to the general population They were found to have The rates of HIV were lower So again That's that's 2014 studies So we have to wait for more Scientific evidence for us to say Much about it but the indication so far Shows that even the females do benefit Okay and then the Anti-circumcision brigade I mean I know that when I Tweeted about circumcision um, the, There's, a, there's a, a, an account they're, they're from the state somewhere, but they're so anti-circumcision. Their whole thing is it's, it's mutilation, it's child mutilation. What are your thoughts, Gunya, on the anti-circumcision groups? I mean, will that will that hinder what we're trying to achieve by promoting circumcision? Well, thanks, Cindy. I think uh, just before the show, we had a very lively chat about that. Um, and uh, well, the circumcision uh, group uh, they tend to be a vocal group, and uh, well, this is a very controversial topic, I must say, because. Uh, it is level one evidence that uh, circumcision works, but there's still a few gray areas. So I think uh, with anything to do with science, one is to keep an open mind and uh, adapt as new evidence comes onto the field. So we cannot really dismiss the anti-circumcision group because uh, people with who hold different views, they're important to the system. They just keep everyone on their toes, always thinking, questioning, because nothing is... Absolutely certain. So I think, uh, although they are vocal, well, we still will need them. And um, Hillary, your thoughts on the anti-circumcision people? If you're doing something and nobody's criticizing you, then you should be worried. 
like that. Yeah, no, those guys are they quite they quite hectic to deal with, especially on Let, Let's talk science. That's the, that's the thing. My 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 only answer is a let's talk science. Let's not talk about emotions or what you feel or what somebody went through. Let's talk public health and science. Then then we should be able to to arrive at at some place if we do that. No, no, I'm really glad to have had you guys in the studio. But um, as we wrap up, I just want to know, um, Hilary, if someone is listening and they want to, to be circumcised or they want their child to be circumcised, where can they go? Where would you recommend they go? There's many places that, that are around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Department of Health has got many places that are, that, that are, that are offering circumcision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, personally, we're also doing them. We are, we've got a GP practice in Tulisa Park. Okay, what can Anyone you give us the area? address? The address is 29 Landor Street. Mm-hmm. That's in Tulisa Park. Our contact details are 011-613-1141. Okay, so that's 011 011- 613-1141. Okay, and that's that, and that's if people want to come and get circumcised at your at your GP practice. Yes. Okay, and then if people want to be circumcised, not at your GP practice, not at a hospital, and not in a government um, uh, um, setting, where else could they go? Actually, if they're willing to pay, I'm talking about free circumcision because the one that even if we provide it at a GP practice, we provide it for free. Okay. However, they if they have money, they can go to any private hospital. Oh, okay. There so urologists that do circumcisions. However, the government is providing this service for free. And okay. So we, you, if if you just Google and see a few government hospitals, I know for sure at Barra, that's where I spent my last four years doing circumcisions. They do provide it, and I know that many other hospitals they also also do provide it. And so, so there are also other organizations that are there, and I can tell there's new start. They've been around for HIV counseling and testing. Mm-hmm. If you see anywhere where they exist, they also should provide circumcision. And there's also um, Oram Health. I've heard of them. Okay. And then all those are even at Helen Joseph's. They're there. So there's quite the the the, the, the programs that provide free circumcisions are quite quite a lot. Okay. No, but thank you so much, guys, for being here. I think we had a robust debate about circumcision, and um, I, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I really must admit, I learned a lot today, and I, I really thank you. Thank you, Green Eye, and thank you so much, Hilary. And um, I'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you very much. Keeping it real on cliffcentral.com.